Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and we are going right to the phones as we are joined by one of our favorite contributors from Tightline Outdoors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing fine. I was thinking about you coming on, and I really have to look at your notes because you and I don't talk. You and Karen talk. Nobody talks to me. I don't know. Karen <laughs> does all the work. I just pretend I know something, and then I, you know, I get the credit. But she said you want, and I was really wanted to look at the notes because there are so many opportunities for fishing in the state right now. And I wasn't sure when you'll probably touch on a lot of different ones, but it said walleye fishing and we are getting, we're approaching some of those peaks where you can really catch them, aren't we? I mean, that's it, Terry. So, so with that being the topic, we can obviously talk about anything, you know, everything is pretty much open now, you know, Granby opened Friday. Uh, a lot of your, your lake trout fisheries opened up in the last couple of days. So we're literally in full swing now, as far as, you know, statewide fishing, uh, you know, species galore of everything out there. But with that said, I think there's still a lot of people that, you know, might not be up for traveling a lot. Obviously a lot of the smaller towns in the mountains are still suggesting, you know, not a lot of impact on them. Um, so with that being said, there's never a, a better time to stay local than when these walleyes really get going and they hit their summer pattern. And one of the biggest things about the early summer patterns right now, obviously, I think we, a lot of people know how to structure fish walleyes, you know, with jigs and rigs. Um, but when these fish first pile up on structure, obviously, I think there's a, there's a few more of those mature males and those sub or sub, uh, you know, adult females that really pile on structure first. Um, and before those fish kind of get weeded out, now's a great time to get out there. You know, you're going to catch a lot of fish that you could take home that are that 18 plus um and really it's just a good time you know weather's great the recreation is out but it's not in full swing um so it's really a, a solid time for walleyes right now in the front range and all the fisheries are doing well pueblo cherry creek chatfield um just in the last honestly last three days i'd say we're seeing the last of those fish at cherry creek kind of coming out of their their post-spawn pattern and their spring pattern um to where probably 90 percent of those fish now are, are moving up on structure um so again up and down the front range a lot of opportunity for walleyes and again it's fairly simple um i mean you can literally just you're looking for those contour changes looking for the structure changes if you can find a structure change greater than five feet um you're going to find fish on it if the structure big those live bait rigs and, and lindy rig type techniques are great if the structure's small um throwing things like paddle tails or twister tails is, is a dynamite technique right now but again um i mean we're seeing some of these fisheries doing 100 fish days um so so a lot of opportunity for anglers to get out there both advanced and you know novice anglers you know i got a i got a quick question for you, you talked about twister tails and paddle tails on a jig head and we both know that, and I use a gulp minnow quite a bit. We both know that those are that putting a soft bait on a jig head can be a tremendous way to fish for walleyes. If I go back 25 years when I was covering the PWT for in fishermen, I don't think a tournament fisherman back then would have thrown a soft bait without putting a piece of a night crawler on it. How do you feel <laughs> about that? You know, Terry, I hate to say it because, I mean, obviously, like you, you know, had the Minnesota roots kind of have the old school style. Um, it's it's by habit. It's by tradition to not have that confidence without putting that bait on there. But with that being said, if I fish a twister tail, I honestly, I still do love tipping it. So if I'm on a straight twister tail, 
a piece of a night crawler or, or a leech I, I'm a big fan of. But what I do more than anything now is, is I'm fishing a ton of paddle tails. So things like a Berkeley ripple shad um, or a havoc grass pig. I, I'm taking more of the paddle tail approach um, to where I'm not adding that bait. I'm not tipping those presentations. Um, I get enough vibration out of that bait to where it, it creates enough reaction bait. It's 100% you know, confident by itself and actually tipping that bait will actually slow down that vibration, slow down the overall action and actually, you know, crutch you and hurt your overall take for the day. Um, so absolutely the paddle tails, great bait. And again, you're going to have that same success without having used that bait. So for people that don't want to deal with leeches, don't want to deal with night crawlers, um, it, it's a great technique out there. And again, I think the paddle tail is kind of sweeping, I don't want to say sweeping the country, but um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we're now using paddle tails outside of the traditional jigging you know, techniques, whether you're vertical jigging or pitching the jigs. Um, I mean, one of the hottest techniques out there is trolling paddle tails. You can troll with lead core, troll behind planer boards. Um, you know, taking a paddle tail jig, using it as a swim bait, um, really is a presentation you can use in all situations, and it's going to catch you a lot of fish. And again, it is a way to avoid the overall bait aspect if that's what you're looking for. I think, uh, too, we should clarify paddle tail because years ago, a paddle tail was a little bit of like a paddle-shaped end, not the boot thing we see now that came out of the back of a jig and was less vibration than a curly tail. But when you talk about paddle tails now, you're talking about that boot like you see on a swim jig that gives you that constant vibration as you move it. Is that right? Absolutely. That is correct. And again, you know, I mean, there's, most manufacturers are making some sort of that, that swim bait body with that, that bigger boot tail. Um, again, one of my favorites is a ripple shad. Um, you know, right now we're throwing three and three and a half inch. As the water warms up and the fish get a little more aggressive, uh, we'll start using four inch paddle tails. But right now it's really that, that three inch, three and a half inch. Um, it, it's a great bait. And we actually fish it on a fairly heavy head. Uh, I fish it on a three eighth ounce head. Sometimes if I'm in real shallow water, I'll fish on a quarter ounce head, but we use that heavier head to get more vibration. If you fish a real light head, um, you slow things down and you're overall not actually going to get the vibration that you get. So if you fish on a heavier head, it allows that bait to come through the water just a hair quicker um, and you actually get more vibrations. You actually get more traction to that bait. Um, and again, it, it catches a ton of fish. And I think one of the biggest questions we get by anglers is when do you jig and when do you live bait rig? And there's a lot that goes into to either one. Again, if you do not want to use bait for whatever reason, you can jig in all situations. But for me personally, I, I kind of break it down to two scenarios. One, overall depth that I'm fishing, and then two, the size of the spot. So if, obviously with a, a live bait rig, whether you're pulling that behind a bottom bouncer, a walking sinker, or even an egg sinker. Um, so if you're fishing that bait on a, on a pulling your live bait rig behind lead, obviously you're dragging it behind your boat. Um, so if you're in shallow water, less than 10 feet, obviously driving over the fish can sometimes scare them. So if I am in 10 feet of water or less, I almost always throw the jig just so I don't have to drive over those fish of the boat to scare those fish. Um, also, if I'm on a very big area, I'll pull those live bait rigs. But other than that, jigs is kind of kind of open to, to any of the other situations out there. But jig, jigs are going to excel on smaller bodies of structure, so a real small point or a small sunken island, um, and or in that real shallow water where you don't want to drive over your fish. You know, I, I got to share a, uh, kind of a, I don't know if it's a story or just kind of a reflection back on what you're talking about. And as you know, a good friend of ours uh, throws, he's been throwing the larger swim baits for walleyes for years, Doug Stangian. He almost pioneered some of these walleye bites with that vibrating tailed lure.
And him and I would go back and forth because I was like the twitch tail. I was like the subtle approach. And when I was covering the PWT and I really didn't want to, I didn't really didn't want to mess with live bait when I got a chance to fish myself. So I would use subtle things. I don't think we had a gulp minnow back then, but we had, we had the power minnow and we had little twitch tails and we had things like that. And Doug would always throw those, and I, I think I almost didn't start throwing those paddle tail swim tails just out of being uh, stubborn for the longest <laughs> time. But they, they really are effective, and you have to open up your approach. And sometimes we get our confidence lures, and sometimes you just have to break out of that, don't you? I, I agree 100%. It is, and especially the, for, for everybody that's using live bait. It's hard to get out of that crutch because, again, obviously it's natural. We know the fish like it. It's you know tried and true. Uh, but, again, I think getting out of that is a big thing. And with the paddle tails, again, it's about diversity. So you can take that paddle tail. Obviously, that, that paddle tail slows things down. So as a normal jig head would fall, the paddle tail adds enough resistance where you get a slightly slower fall rate which increases bites uh, and also allows you, the angler, to feel it a little better. But I think the biggest thing is the diversity. So especially in a guiding situation, a, a twister tail is so effective in that normal up-and-downward jigging motion where you hop the jig up, let it flutter back down. Um, and it works, but if you start swimming twister tails, they, they catch fish, but I wouldn't say it's as effective. You can take a paddle tail, cast that bait out there, and if your anglers are really struggling or you yourself are struggling with jigging, uh, if you struggle with that, you can take that paddle tail, you can lay your rod just a little above flat, you know, almost level with the water, and you can literally just turn the crank on your reel two or three times and then let that body that bait fall back down to the bottom then you can just crank the reel two or three times it's going to pull that bait up four or five inches it's going to swim along bottom and settle it back down so the, the paddle tail offers more of a variety of techniques you can jig it with a high stroke you can swim it along bottom you could really cast it and swim it above weeds so you have one bait that you can work multiple areas of the water column or you can pull it a variety of distances off bottom um, and and cover different lengths of ground in between fish until you really really figure out the pattern fish want that day uh, to increase those bites. So again, super diverse um, and catches a ton of fish right now. Um, and with that, right now, if you talk about the, the bodies of water and the fisheries, I would say across the board, um, natural colors are doing the best. Right now, throwing paddle tails at Pueblo, white has been extremely hot. You go to Cherry Creek, it's more about kind of a gray or a silver. Um, at Chapter, we're actually using a little bit of a blue tint to that. But overall, real natural colors right now are doing extremely well. Um, and I kind of expect that to, to last into the summer. Generally speaking, we use brighter colors in colder water and more natural colors as the water warms up. And as we're now approaching those summer patterns, that water's warming up a little bit. Uh, I think those naturals are going to continue to go kind of all season. I, uh, you brought, you led me right into where I want to take you for the last two, three minutes here. And that's, Tell me, it's, it's supposed to be decent today, nicer tomorrow, and then hit really warm till the end of the week when we get a little bit of cooling and rain. If you're going out fishing in the next few days, maybe, say, through Wednesday through Thursday, where are some of the places you'd go, and how will it change as this hot weather moves in? You know, I think the biggest thing across the board, you know, whether on the front range or in the mountains, as you get warmer water, I think your fish are going to be coming shallower. So your rainbows are going to start coming shallower. Your walleyes are coming shallower. Uh, I think this is going to do absolute wonders for the bass spawn. So I think those fish are going to come shallower. So just kind of, a, you know, a thing to look out for is wherever you are currently catching fish, I would anticipate those fish coming into shallower water as that water warms up. Um, one of the bites I'd say that we, we talk about every year this time of year, but I, I think it's so key to focus on 
as we start seeing runoff and as our water temperature or as our air temperature increases, obviously that runoff is going to, you know, heighten. You're going to get more water in the rivers. As the rivers get blown out, still water fly fishing is one of those things that I think uh, presents opportunity for probably more and bigger fish than most fly anglers, you know, encounter in an entire year. Um, and right now your anteros, your spinnies, um, those fisheries are so productive right now for still water fly fishing. You know, your nymph fishing in somewhat deeper water, um, but those opportunities are huge right now. High number days on big fish. So I think for all the fly anglers out there, or really anybody who is normally focused on river fishing, as your rivers, you know, are going to get blown out here shortly if they're not already blown out, um, I think that still water fly fishing is going to be one of those bites that is a must for those anglers to try out this season um, just to just see what those opportunities exist. So uh, right now, again, walleye in the front range would be my first go-to, second go-to. I would give still water fly fishing an opportunity. Just, again, a lot of fish, a lot of big fish, uh, and I think it'll blow your mind at the, that the overall opportunities that exist with a fly rod on reservoir fishing up here in Colorado. All right, and my friend, before I let you go, um, how are things going with you? Are you ready to? Are you booking guide trips yet? And what we are, we are, we are open for business. So again, we we have to take it, you know lake by lake uh we still have a few counties and a few bodies of water that we're on that still have restrictions uh, but for the most part absolutely we uh we are in full swing so feel free to give us a call uh, again you can always check out our website tightlandoors.com uh or facebook we do a lot of our updates there and then we also have our catch rate event coming up this wednesday uh so again may 20th wednesday at chatfield the north boat dock we have our catch rate uh you can go to our facebook page to get more information about catch rate but a really fun event uh for bass walleye trout and carp so hopefully hopefully everybody can uh, have a chance to experience one of these catch rate events this year uh it's a good time i think a lot of anglers learn a lot and and meet a lot of great anglers all right so hopefully we can all get back to spending more quality time in the outdoors with less restrictions and uh, great information nate and keep up the good work and we will talk to you again next week we'll talk to you soon all right nate zelinski hey hey folks if you want to see nate and i fishing if you go first of all we just posted a few weeks ago uh lead core segment with Nate and I on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and it takes you to the YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. There's three or four shows fishing right here in the front range with Nate at Chatfield and Cherry Creek that we did, uh, and they're on Terry, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Brad Peterson's going to join us, and we're going to talk more fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, Kyle, you can't listen to Dire Straits without tapping your foot. Yeah, absolutely. They just, that guitar lick, there's no one else that really sounds like them. As soon as it starts, you know who it is. Yeah, every time I play it, you know it's Dire Straits within the first three seconds. Uh, It's always. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right back to the phones and talk some more fishing with Brad Peterson. Uh, Brad is a guide here in the Colorado area, if you haven't listened to him before. He also... Uh, many years ago, worked at Camp Fish for in fishermen. He's a fishing educator. He's got a degree in fisheries biology, and he's a very accomplished tournament angler. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. You know, as people are venturing out, I know they're going further and further, whether they're supposed to be or not, but everybody's looking for a place to go. Fishing license sales are through the roof, and that's a good thing. In the short term, it's bringing people out. Um, that because there's no youth sports, there's, they can't go to a movie, there's certainly nothing on television, and you can't even go out for a meal. 
And so they're striving to find things to do outdoors. In the long term, it's going to be great for our industry because it's going to help bring money in to promote our resources. But right now, people kind of want to know both close and maybe if I drive a little bit, where can I go? And I know in this northeast Colorado area, you really cover the water. Give me some updates on what's going on. Well, Terry, like Nate was saying, in the weather that we have coming, that, that water temperature really warming is going to make things happen. Uh, a lot of the lakes are in the upper 50s to low 60s. And usually, for me, that that 60-degree water temperature in the spring, early summer is that magic temperature when you've got a good walleye bite going, a good crappie bite going, the bass are moving up. So everything is going good. If you're looking for spots to fish and you want to travel, um, right now I'm sure a lot of people have heard the bite at Jumbo is going really good out there for the walleye. Um, it is a little bit of a trek out there, but uh, it it's worth the drive if you want to go out there. Um, and then a little bit closer in, Jackson's starting to pick up. Jackson, the, the warmer uh, both those lakes are being out east are going to warm a little bit quicker. And since both of them are a little quicker, you uh, warm up a little quicker, and you're going to get a little bit better bite. Jackson's got both walleyes and wipers going. Um, and then as you get a little bit closer to the front before, range. Before we move in closer, let's talk a little bit about how are people catching the fish on Jumbo and Jackson? What kind of techniques? If I'm heading out there, how would I approach them? You know, Jumbo right now has got a really good live bait bite going um, in that 8 to 12-foot range. There's a lot of aquatic vegetation coming up, and so people are kind of looking at the outer edge of that vegetation being right up against the edge. And you can do that with either, you know, dragging a a jig and a crawler um, or or a jig and plastic. And then... um, you also can do it uh, pulling bottom bouncers and spinners right in there. All that will produce the fish. If you get a little bit of wave action on the shoreline and, you know, muddies up an area, I like to head over there and and then pitch a jig in plastic. And I'm a big fan of the boot tail that you guys were talking about in the last segment. I use the, uh, the bio bait swim baits. But the one tip I'd give everyone is when you put that on your jig head, Go get a little bit of super glue. Put a little dab of super glue right about at the base of the jig head. When you put that, your plastic, your your bio bait, whatever you're putting on there, it's going to hold it there, and it's going to last a lot more fish. And the scent on that doesn't really affect the fish at all. So if you want to make your your uh, plastics or, or rubber type presentations last longer, just a little dab of super glue right up near the the jig head works. Now, moving to Jackson, um, you can cast the shallows in the low light period, and then once the sun comes up, the fish are moving out uh, south of the boat ramp along the no-wake buoy line. Uh, There's a live bait bite, and then along the dam, there's a good trolling bite going on, Um, trolling your rattling shad wraps, your your shad-style baits in the size 5 to 7s, and around that... uh, Two mile an hour mark has been the speed that really seems to be triggering those fish. 
Now, I want to make a couple comments, too. You talked about bottom bouncers, and bottom bouncers used to be the premier presentation in the western United States, and it still probably will catch as many or more walleyes than almost anything if the situation is right, but you don't hear about it as much. Now, if people aren't familiar or they want to know how to fish bottom bouncers, you and I actually did some work at Pueblo Reservoir, and it's on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, where I think I started out and you joined me later. And we actually season, wasn't it? It was very early, but it's really great technique, and it really describes bottom bouncers. And you know, it's right now over the last month, it's been the second most watched show on my YouTube channel. And then I also want to mention you talked about casting, uh, trolling crankbaits. There are two or three shows where we troll crankbaits, me and different anglers, with both both lead cord, just diving them and snap weights. So you can get all that information on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Are, are there any size to the wipers out at Jackson Lake? You know, Jackson, uh, the wipers are running mainly about 14 to 18, 19 inches is the main year class. Um, they stocked it for a few years, and then they laid off. So there aren't too many of the smaller fish there. But um, you have those just at or above keeper size. It's a 15-inch minimum at Jackson. And then there are still some of those holdover fish from way back when that they're, boy, they're pushing, you know, upper 20-inch range. If you get into one of those. Yeah, go ahead. If you get into one of those, be ready for a a battle for quite a while. That's exactly what I was going to say. An 18, 20-inch wiper, well, you'll think you've got a a, a 25-inch, 30-inch bass or trout on. They will pull your string. They're so fun to catch. What about as we get closer to home, Brad? I know you were going to start going there. Closer to home? The one lake that's been fishing really well has been Union. And a lot of people don't really even think about it. It's a Longmont city and uh, park there. It's just west of St. Brain State Park. And you're able to launch boats out there. It's a no-wake lake, fairly small. They did close down some of their fishing piers and their swim beaches, but the lake is still open for fishing. And a lot of people are out there catching walleyes. Again, it's mainly a trolling crankbait bite. I think by the end of the week with the water warming, I think the live bait bite is going to pick up there as well. And that is very similar to a jumbo in that there is some aquatic vegetation And I find the best luck, you know, if I'm going to be out there pulling live bait in the middle of the day, just find a deep edge, particularly along the south and the east side has some good weeds from the boat ramp. Um, And uh, you can get in there on that deep edge and get into quite a few fish. And it has a good population of perch and bluegill as well. So if you're pulling live bait, you never know what you're going to end up with. It's, it reminds me a lot of Minnesota fishing when you're pulling live bait along the weed edge. You just are never quite sure what you're going to catch, but you know there's fish right there. Well, and I don't mind once in a while pulling up, taking out the ultralights and targeting those perch and bluegills either. That can be just a lot of fun. And if you're out on a lake like that in a float tube, and you know you could target those bluegills and those perch, with a conventional rod and some live bait or a jig tipped with something. And then a lot of times pick up a walleye or something else while you're doing it. Yeah, you definitely can. And, and the other thing I would mention up in this, you know, Northern front range area, 
The state has been stocking a lot of trout in the various ponds. So you have a lot of the smaller ponds, whether it's St. Brain or some of the ones up in the Fort Collins area, uh, that either are getting stocked with trout, but also the warm water fish are really getting active and the crappies are moving up to spawn. And there's bluegills active. The bass, you're able to get them in the shallows right along that first break and I've actually started to get a few fish on top water. So the small bodies of water are fishing well. If you don't have a boat, don't feel like you're getting left out. There's plenty of opportunities right now to get out there and catch some fish, especially before the weeds get too grown up in those ponds. And sometimes some of those ponds become real tough to fish. They get overgrown. And and the nice thing about those ponds are when they do get overgrown, the fish don't get as pressured. So usually those lake, those ponds have bigger fish in them. Oh, yeah. Well, another thing, too, is these ponds, first of all, great thing to do is check the stocking report. Now, on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, they're still only doing the fishing report every other week. But when that comes out on Fridays, we, we post that on our Facebook page. So there's a link. And there's a link in there to the stocking report. And you can go back you know, two or three or four weeks or even a couple months by, by going back through the dates and see when some of these small pot bodies of water and ponds were stocked with trout, and that will give you a great opportunity, and they want you to go harvest those. And a lot of those same bodies of water are the ones that have the bluegills and crappies. So a lot of times when I'm out, if I have a second rod stamp, I'll throw one out with a, a jig um, or a piece of bait. Usually it's a piece of small piece of gulp or it could be bio bait, uh, Biobait leech is great. I'll throw something out under a bobber, and both the trout and the panfish will hit that. And then I'll use either a jig or a spinner to work around the lake, and you can really, uh, really have fun that way. Yeah, you definitely can. It, it That's a great presentation to catch pretty much anything in those bodies of water. And don't be surprised if you don't catch a big catfish as well. Uh, the one thing to take into consideration with the warm water fish in the, these ponds is they're getting ready to spawn. And you've talked about it earlier about selective harvest. If you get on a bite and, you know, these ponds where you might see bluegills bedding or you get on the crappies that are about ready to lay their eggs or you're watching bass on the beds, we have to let some of those fish go because these ponds rely on natural reproduction to keep the fish there. So if you want to keep a few fish for a meal, that's great. But this time of year is just not the time to go fill your freezer. It can really hurt a pond for years going forward. All right, my friend, if people want to get a hold of you for a guide trip, how do they find you? Uh, look me up on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors, or you can check out my website at bradpeterson.me. All right, we will talk to you again soon, and you and I will need to get fishing soon when this thing starts to loosen up a little bit. Thank you, my friend. Yes, we, yes, we do, Terry. Thanks right. a lot. All right, we're going to take a quick time out, and we're going to switch things up, and the folks from Colorado Clays are going to join us, and we're going to talk some shooting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Great Eagle song. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones, and hopefully patiently waiting is my good friend J.R. from Colorado Clays. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. You know, the first thing I want to talk to you about, J.R., is we haven't talked for a while, so update me on what you're able, you know, what your status is, 
and what are you able to offer and provide for people right now? Well, thanks, Terry. So uh, here's the deal. Colorado Clays is still Colorado's premier public shooting facility, uh, offering the finest public access recreational shooting opportunities anywhere, Terry. And, you know, even though we are in tough times, uh, it seems people have kind of accepted the changes that businesses have made to keep customers and employees safe. And with those necessary changes, Colorado Clays is still proudly and safely offering our giant 120-acre shooting park to everyone. And as always, it still includes um, our NRA-approved rifle and pistol range with its state-of-the-art features, which, of course, include a 25-yard pistol range with a target return system. We have 50- and 100-yard rifle ranges with our video viewing system on that 100-yard target, so you can do real-time sighting. A great tool for the rifle guys. Seven ATA trap fields. Uh, they're, they're ATA certified uh, and, you know, there for anybody that wants to shoot some trap. Of course, our straightaway training trap for beginners, youth, and really just any back-to-basics practice for anyone. Our two NSSA regulation skeet fields that have the wobble trap overlay, which we talked about last fall, Terry. That's your ultimate upland practice, and those are really a fun game for anyone. And what's really cool, the grass and trees are greening up on our beautiful half-mile-long 15-station sporting clays course. And, Terry, I'm telling you, if you haven't shot the Colorado Clay sporting clays course, uh, it's worth the trip for that in itself. And well, last but not least, we have been touching base on this, that 20- to 50-yard shotgun patterning area. Uh, I keep hearing it over and over, Terry, for only 10 bucks. Uh, you can learn more about your gun, your chokes, and your loads than years of guessing without it. So definitely encourage everyone to get out here and have some fun at Colorado Clays. Now, I want to talk more about patterning and distance with shotguns, but before we do, I love shooting the training trap because it makes me feel like I'm really good. <laughs> I, well, Terry, I told you to have Karen work with you, but the training trap's always there for you, my friend. Yeah. And, you know, that's just it. Any level of shooter can come out there and and work on their skills but have fun doing it. Because it's frustrating if you try to do something above your skill level and you, you push yourself, you know, work to that level. Shooting is a perishable skill. I say that over and over. And it takes some practice. And if you can get some advice, like, from the people at your ranges or some have somebody watch you or even take a lesson as you move on, you just can have more fun as you go and refine your skills. One of the things you and I have talked about that seems to be something that people struggle with, and I'll admit there's times that I've struggled with it, and that's judging distances. Now, you talked about your patterning. And tell me, when you put out those patterning, do people say, well, that's not 30 yards, that's not 50 yards? What are they, how do they approach that? Well, and, and here's the thing, Terry, and you're dead on. So judging distance applies to all shooting. And it doesn't matter if you're hunting, target practicing, competitively shooting, recreational, or what. The distance will determine your holdovers, um, your leads, patterning of a gun, and really your personal effective range is based on you and your equipment. And something we don't talk about often enough, Terry, is, and I hear this, um, I get lots of stories, you know, oh, thanks, Jar, you know, got the gun sighted in, had a great hunt, success. But so much of the time when 
somebody doesn't have a successful hunt or has a problem, it's because in today's technology age, they're relying on that range finder to, to tell them what ranges are. And I had three different rifle people tell me um, my batteries died on the range finder or I broke it or lost it or left it in the truck. And they had to try and guess a distance, and they weren't even close, and they missed a shot. And I've heard that, and, and that's true everywhere, Terry. So I think the moral of this story is that I want to encourage everybody, um, and it actually carries over into other aspects of life, being able to judge distance from close to far ranges, and you can verify it with your rangefinder or learning to, uh, you know, how many feet are in each one of your paces and practice that. Uh, I used to, when I'd go, you know, at the grocery store, you know, pick a shopping cart, guess how many paces, do it, you know, walking the dog, uh, out in the field, driving around, whatever. Um, it's good information to know, and if you have one of those moments where you run out of time or your equipment doesn't work, um, you can still make a shot based on the practice you've done judging distance. So it's one of those things that I, I can't emphasize enough, and yet we don't talk about that much. Well, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more because – when I did more hunting, you know, I used to hunt a lot. I don't do as much hunting because I fish so much now. And when I did more hunting, I was in the woods a lot. And I would look at a tree and I'd say, oh, that's 75 yards over there. And I'd pace it off or I'd look through a rangefinder. And especially if I was scouting an area where I thought a deer or another animal might come through a trail, I wanted to know the distance from where I was standing to where it broke into a clearing where I might take a shot. And it's amazing how wrong you can be because once you start losing perspective a little bit, everything gets out of whack. And that practice, that practice can keep you from getting lost when you're out there. I mean, it's just such a distance judging distances. We did a competition years ago at um, Sun Power Sports where you had to drive an ATV through a, a an obstacle course. And then you had to stop, shoot, um, some air rifles at targets, and then you had to look out at some decoy deer and tell how far away they were. And I knew that I wasn't going to be the best ATV driver there because I don't drive them that much. And most of these guys that were like pros, you know, I was going against professional athletes and all that. But I thought, well, during the shooting part, I can hold my own. And I did the shooting. I did fine. But boy, did I blow it on the distance because it was so different to see an outline of a deer down a city block. Well, Terry, and, and there's a good point. A lot of times when we're padding a shotgun, one of our uh, you know clay shooters, I make the aiming point the size of a target. And, you know, standard target's going to be about four and a quarter inch diameter. I make the aiming point so they can get the perspective of what 35 yards looking down the barrel a target looks like. And a lot of times when I judge distance for practice, I try and do it on objects that represent the vitals or the body of a deer or whatever I'm practicing for because making those relations uh, in your brain can really pay off in judging distance because they have a tendency to stare at the target sometimes and forget to look at the ground or other familiar objects. And one thing I will say, Terry, and you say this about shooting, same thing. Uh, judging distance is also a perishable skill. So I, I try and keep up on it the best I can, and it's, it's definitely worth the time. A couple more things I want to touch on before we let you go. The first is 
I know people are getting out. They're looking for things to do. I know weekends probably get busy for everybody I've talked to, but there's a lot of people who aren't working yet right now. How are things during the week? Do you have more time? Do you need, you know, would it be, can people plan and getting out there during the week? Well, Terry, during the week is, if you have that opportunity, it's a prime time to come to Colorado Clays. Uh, you know, the total volume of business is less. Uh, things are open. There's no waits, anything like that. So certainly, if you have the choice of coming during the week, definitely do that. Uh, it's just beautiful out here during the week, and I encourage everybody to do it if they can. And when are you open so people know? Well, we're six days a week. Um we're closed on Tuesdays, and we're 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. All right. Now, you have an event coming up that I was going to ignore because you give me such a hard time, but it's just a tremendous event you do every year. It's called Cast and Blast. Tell us about that. All right, Terry. So in a nutshell, Cast and Clays is a combination. Cast and Clays. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. You already screwed that up, too, Terry. <laughs> Watch it. Yep, Cast and Clays is a combination fishing and clay shooting tournament event that um, registers two-person teams. Uh, we fish 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Bar Lake. We shoot at Colorado Clays at 1 o'clock, and the scoring is one point per inch on the game fish you catch and one point per clay target you break. And the beauty is it's only $100 to enter a team. Now, we've been working with Michelle at Bar Lake and Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We submitted a plan to safely hold our tournament, and the plan was approved. So on June 7th, the 2020 Colorado Clays Cast and Clays Tournament will take place. And once again, Terry, thanks to some amazing sponsors of this event, uh, we will have that same low $100 entry fee, but with chances at great payouts, and prizes. Uh, we have Transwest GMC throwing in big money for the top teams uh, that score the highest. Bass Pro Shops Denver cannot say enough about them. They're providing not only fantastic door prizes uh, that anyone could win, but also prizes for special categories promoting families, youth, and co-eds in the outdoors and at this event. Uh, I mean, Bass Pro Denver just always comes through. Tightline Outdoors, uh, Nate Zielinski, uh, he's, he's scheduled to compete again, and he always comes with goodies. And if you've never done a tournament with Nate, um, that's a fun guy, and he's good at what he does. So uh, it's worth coming to see him alone. Uh, Ramos Law, Joe and his team, they regularly sponsor, promote, and participate. And that's a bunch of true outdoors people there as well. And then finally, Terry, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Uh, can't thank Michelle and her crew at Bar Enough. And uh, just for anybody listening, we still have some spots available. Uh, it's a great day, and come join us. Tell people where they find out about it and where they find you. So definitely give me a call, uh, 303-659-7117, with questions about any of this or anything else you might have. Or visit our website, coloradoclays.com. Uh, most of the information you'll need will be on the website and if you've never been to Colorado Clays, take the virtual tour. You'll see what we do and uh, what we're all about. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again soon, and uh, you stay safe and stay busy. Thank you, Terry. Have a great day. All right, that's uh, JR from Colorado Clays. We'll take a quick time out and come back and wrap up this edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Oh. 
So, Kyle, you think I'll get to go to this Eagles concert eventually next year? I'm crossing my fingers for you. Well, I hope so. Those guys are getting old. They're almost as old as I am. <laughs> no comment on that. We don't yeah, need a comment. I got nothing. <laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up. There's a few things I want to touch base on. First of all, this is usually when Dan Jacobs and I banter back and forth and uh, he gives me a hard time. But just so you know, Dan had a little medical issue. He'll be fine. And uh, it had nothing to do with the coronavirus. And he'll be back giving me a hard time very soon. So I want to wish him a recovery. And I want to talk to veteran outdoor people. We're getting a lot of people in the outdoors that are coming back or haven't been there for a while or maybe have never been outdoors. And it's easy sometimes to get a little irritated. There's more people They don't understand the etiquette or the rules. But remember, we're welcoming them into the outdoor community, and we're going to get their support eventually for the industry with license fees and retail buying. And it's going to make the whole thing better for all of us. So I think it's incumbent on veteran outdoor people to maybe reach out to these newcomers, whether they're on a trail or they're fishing or they're getting out in a boat or they're just – wildlife watching or camping, whatever they're doing, and you'll make friends with them, give them some advice, guide them, help them along the way, of course, stay within the guidelines of what's going on. And, uh, you know, and let's all get out there and enjoy it together. These aren't the best of times for everybody, but we can make them a bonding time rather than a time that polarizes or separates us. Now let's work for that. Now I want to remind you to follow us on Facebook. If you follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, you would see that I have posted the article on the camping. Camping is opening up. So Parks and Wildlife has updated a page with dates of when the different campgrounds are anticipated opening. You'll find that on our Facebook page. Um, You'll find fishing reports and information uh, if I get out or one of our guides or one of our friends that is part of the show gets out. We'll try to get that up on on our Facebook page and give you some information that – that can help you go out and enjoy what you're doing. And there's links to our YouTube channel out there, uh, different things, or you can just go to the YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And, you know, we, we did two different television shows. We did Mountain States Fishing, which was filmed right in this area. And then we did Angling Adventures, where we actually traveled the world. But a lot of that was fished in the mountain area, too. So you get about half the shows on our YouTube channel were filmed right in your backyard. They're going to show you places to go and ways to enjoy it. So take advantage of that. Um, Other things we do on our Facebook page is we take key podcasts from the show and we put them up there in case you missed them. Now you can find those on the fan, 103, 1043thefan.com also, but we put those up there to kind of take and maybe because we think they're timely and they're going to help you get out. If I get out fishing, I immediately post something like that. We post the fishing and stocking reports that come out from Parks and Wildlife. And then we take past articles I've written for the Denver Post or some of the magazines, and we post those up there. In fact, I just posted one a day or two ago about getting started fishing in Colorado. And what that article does, it takes you through is if I'm buying a rod and reel and I'm going to be doing a lot of fishing in Colorado, what rod and reel should I be looking for? And I, I, I solicited information from Ronnie Castiglione, who's a contributor to the show and from Austin Parr from Discount Tackle and threw in my own recommendations on what you would start with that would give you a, 
a piece of equipment that you could approach just a variety of fishing situations in Colorado. So take a look at that. I'm also going to bring back some articles on lure selection over the next few weeks that help you pick out some of the other equipment that helps you fish in Colorado. But, you know, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on YouTube, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And tune in every Saturday from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we'll try to bring you as much information as we can to help you enjoy the outdoors. Thanks to Kyle for running the show in the studio. Thanks for Karen for keeping everything online and scheduling it. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Shimmering light.